This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. It has been a known fact that since the beginning of time, since the creation of Earth and its inhabitants, that as soon as a tyrant takes over the control of a tribe, takes control over a region, or takes control over another civilization, they will demand a few things. Number one, they will demand property. Number two, obedience. And number three, they will demand worship. They will insist that what possessions that you have, what possessions that your family has, what possessions that the Lord has given you as you navigate the world and care for your family, that those possessions are theirs. But, as a very wise man who had all of the possessions that he had ever desired, taken from him after the crash of 2009, said to me, he said, quote, it's all just stuff, Mike. End quote. So if it was just stuff that they were after, if it was just things that are temporal that they were after, that would be one thing, but it isn't. Because they also require your obedience. And not just your obedience to a certain amount of new rules and regulations of your new tyrants, but total, complete obedience. Mind, body, and soul. Which brings us to the ultimate demand of worship. Complete and total worship. The kind of worship that most evangelicals are not familiar with. The kind of worship that demands that every bit of obedience that you have mustered must be directed towards their glory, to their power, to their vision of the future. And that all of your possessions, all of your obedience, collectively, must be pointed towards and focused upon their eschatological vision of their utopia, immunitizing the eschaton. But not through an individual trust and obedience to God, not through the autonomous actions of individuals who love the Lord thy God with all of their heart, mind, and soul. No, this is the creating of God in their own image. The creation of God in the image of man. In essence, becoming the God-makers. Not the lowering of man through the bondage of the will in relation to God and his sovereignty and omnipotence, but the refusal of God himself. You see the church itself, in the radical revolutionary's eyes, well, that church of today, it needs its own cultural revolution. Out with the old God. Out with the God who molded and created the holy scriptures that serve as our authority and guide, and in with the new artificial God. The artificial God of their own making. The God made of human hands and of human sin. The created man-fashioned God that will seek to steal all of the attributes that only the creator and sustainer of the universe himself intrinsically possesses. A God who is all-knowing. An artificial God of man, 
who is all-knowing. The artificial god of man must be omniscient. The new god of man must be all-knowing of all things at all times. The new god of man must know your heart rate at all times, your temperature at all times, your general health condition at all times. The new god of man must know what you are reading at all times, know what you are watching at all times, know what you are saying at all times, know what you are thinking at all times. As a matter of fact, the new artificial god of man will be able to replace your bad thoughts, the thoughts that you should be thinking, with the new thoughts approved by the god created by human hands. The new god must know where you are at all times, because the new god is omnipresent. And the new city of the new omnipresent god is the central city. The gentrificated city. The center city that eliminates all suburban living. Because the new city of the new god is not a city. It is a panopticon. And what is a panopticon? Well, a panopticon is an institutional building where people are kept under inspection, whether it is a hospital, a school, public housing for poor people, a factory, or a mental health institution. But the most famous application is that of a prison. The essence of the panopticon is that of central inspection. The panopticon is a disciplinary concept brought to life in the form of a central observation tower, placed within a circle of prison cells. And from the central tower, a guard can see every cell and inmate, but the inmates can't see into the tower. Prisoners will never know whether or not they are being watched. The new city of the new artificial god is a prison, a panopticon. In fact, the new world of this genderless Marxist god is a prison, an endlessly surveilled city of technology and physical enforcement. But don't worry. The new god of man's making is an omnibenevolent god. The new artificial god is good. And the new all-knowing, all-powerful God is a God that knows what is best for mankind, collectively, because we are all in this together. The new God knows first what is collectively good for the whole, and then will designate what you must do to serve the greater purpose, the greater good. Your will, your desires, your dreams— must be the same dream as the artificial god. Or else, there will be trouble. And for the new artificial god's plan to work, well, we all have to be on the same plan as well. So all of the guiding principles and distinctions of every culture around the world, all of the paths through what is known as exegetical formulation and doctrinal formulation, must be done away with all of those old paths, all of the paths of falsification, and the scientific knowledge that came with modernity must be done away with as well, for the new artificial god will demand your obedience to the new artificial truth, the synthetic truth of the new artificial god. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, what evil mind came up with all this nonsense? Well, 
as with all things artificial and destructively evil, from the mind of man. Now I want you to think back, and this comes from an article that was written way back in 1973 in Christianity Today, and it addressed some of the origins of the ideological framework that is at the heart of the dialectical process. Quote, It is the so-called Tübingen school, inspired by the philosophy of Hegel, which is responsible for it. According to this dogma, with its scheme of thesis, antithesis, synthesis, there existed at the beginning of Christianity the community of Jerusalem, completely dominated by Jewish theology and especially by Jewish hopes. Later, through contact with the Hellenistic world, a very different kind of Christianity was supposed to have risen, Gentile Christianity. Early Catholicism would then represent the synthesis. G.W.F. Hegel, the German idealist philosopher, developed his system of absolute idealism out of the critical idealism of Kant, Fichte, and Schelling, working from the thesis that, quote, the real is rational and the rational is real, end quote. Hegel developed a logic for all human knowledge, not in terms of being, but in terms of becoming. Development followed through a dialectical process of a thesis, followed by an antithesis, in which the conflicting factors issued in a higher synthesis. He propounded an evolutionary view of the development of the universe that included not only the realm of natural science, but also law, history, and religion. With evolving, ever more becoming subjective truth contained within the whole. The influence of Hegel's thought has been vast. In the materialistic direction, his doctrines have been developed by Ludwig Feuerbach and Karl Marx and contained within the whole communist movement. Of particular interest to us is Hegel's influence on the modern study of biblical and ecclesiastical history and systematic theology. It was at Tübingen that the modern study of biblical and church history began. The so-called Tübingen School was, of course, founded by F.C. Bauer, who died in 1860, but his prominent years were from the 1840s on, a theology professor who developed his characteristic doctrines under Hegel's concept of history. In 1835, he applied Hegel's principles to the New Testament. Primitive Christianity was represented as a struggle between divergent views, like the Catholic Church as the synthesis. In 1845, Bauer roused a storm of controversy by applying his dialectic to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, whom he represented as being violently opposed to the apostles, to the Jews. The principal endeavor of the Tubigen school, therefore, in the attempt to apply Hegel's dialectic to the primitive church, was to divide the church into the Jewish Christians, or Petronists, thesis, and the Gentile Christians, or Paulinists, antithesis, and a cleavage that was healed in the Antinocene Catholicism of the Church, synthesis. And through Tübingen, the entire practice of historical criticism was born. It was a way to gradualistically evolve the meanings of things to apply Alphaben, or critical canceling approach, to whatever was to gradually move, incrementally, theologically, to where you want to be, 
It was a way to gradualistically evolve the meaning of things, to make incremental change bit by bit, little step by little step, until the meaning is sucked out of the truth, until truth itself evolves into a subjective morass that would be unrecognizable to just one previous generation. So let's fast forward a generation. And here we have a man envisioning a technocratic world guided by science, collective communities, and the elimination of sovereign nations. H.G. Wells first published his plan for world revolution in his groundbreaking work, The Open Conspiracy, Blueprints for a World Revolution, in 1928. And this is what H.G. Wells said. Quote, Now the most comprehensive conception of this new world is of one politically, socially, and economically united. To this end, a small but increasing body of people in the world set their faces, and seek to direct their lives, end quote. Wells goes on to say in his work, Open Conspiracy, quote, the character of the open conspiracy, the movement towards a world collective, will now be plainly displayed. It will have become a great world movement, as widespread and evident as socialism or communism. It will largely have taken the place of these movements. It will be more. It will be a world religion. End quote. In his work, The Salvaging of Civilization, H.G. Wells states, quote, The world state must begin. It can only begin as a propaganda cult, or as a group of propagandist cults, to which men and women must give themselves and their energies regardless of the consequences to themselves. The activities of a cult which sets itself to bring about the world state would at first be propagandist. They would be intellectual and educational. And only as a sufficient mass of opinion and will had accumulated would they become to a predominant extent politically constructive. Such a cult must direct itself particularly to the teaching of the young. End quote. So around the same time as H.G. Wells and the Fabians in the United Kingdom were spinning their hopes for a eugenics-enforced, socialistic, technocratic, oligarchical world order, a Baptist organization named the Brotherhood of the Kingdom was flourishing in the United States. You had the Baptists basically creating the nightmarish scenarios that gave birth to the concepts that H.G. Wells eventually synthesized into his concepts for a world religion. Many of these concepts had their genesis in the Brotherhood of the Kingdom, with men like Walter Rauschenbusch and Samuel Zane Batten. These men were progressives. These were the men that codified the concepts of the social gospel, the concepts that a deconstructed, then reconstructed faith could be what organizes and guides societies. Yes, the Baptists. In fact, it was Samuel Zane Batten that first coined a famous term that would be used frequently by Christians and non-Christian globalists. The title of that 1919 Zane Batten book was The New World Order. Samuel Zane Batten began a career as a Baptist minister in the Mid-Atlantic and Midwest. He became involved in social reform movements in the late 19th century and helped found the Brotherhood of the Kingdom. 
a core organization in the social gospel movement at the turn of the century. He was a prolific author, arguing that Christians had a religious duty to make some use of the state to improve the condition of mankind. As the country was exiting World War I, Batten was optimistic that nationalization of industries and active governmental mobilization of economic resources for the war effort marked the end of American individualism. Rather than a return to normalcy, as U.S. President Warren G. Harding would promise, Batten hoped the country would transition into a new world order characterized by the socialization of the nation and the democratization of industry. Zane Batten had not promised for a return to normalcy after World War I. Batten actually hoped for a great reset of the world, more of a coming together of a new social order with international implications. So Samuel Zane Batten wrote the following in 1919, just at the conclusion of World War I and about the same time as the founding of the International Social Order Organization called the League of Nations. And please let me know if any of this sounds vaguely familiar. Quote, The nation today faces a great new task. In the judgment which has befallen the world, secret things are brought to light, and hidden defects in society are revealed. The inadequacy of policies and programs of the nations is shown. In all this, the need of a new national policy is suggested. And in the struggle of the nation today, we find the hope of a new social order. The nation will never be the same as it was before. A return to the status quo ante is impossible. Changes are coming, and we must prepare for them. What shall these changes be? Shall reaction regain its hold and control of the power of industry and life of the nation? If so, there is trouble ahead with friction, strife, and rebellion. Shall we allow things to drift and trust that they will adjust themselves? We need to remember that moral progress is not automatic. Things grow better just as fast and as far as men see the better and strive for it. To allow things to drift is to invite disaster. There is only one course open, therefore, we must understand the changes that right and necessary. We must have an intelligent conception of the laws of social and national life. And we must unite the people in behalf of social justice and progress. Let me repeat that last line. And we must unite the people in behalf of social justice and progress. Number one, the failure of the old individualism. It appears, for one thing, that we have been most neglectful and wasteful of our human resources. We have been intent on the project of developing the natural resources of the nation. And we have done this at an unparalleled rate. But in all this, we have been neglectful of higher values and have been wasteful of the most valuable asset, the lies given to us. We have built our cities and developed our industries with little regard for the health the happiness, the welfare of the people. It appears that the industrial processes have been regardless of the welfare of the people and the larger life of the nation. Each industry has been controlled by its own managers, usually by a few men, whose immediate object 
was prophets. It has worked the spirit and hope out of men and has left life devoid of eternal values. It appears further that special privilege and industry autocracy have exploited the people and have made a malign influence upon the nation. The control of industry has fallen into a few hands, and these are able to determine the destiny of millions of men, and they have used this power to enrich themselves out of the necessities of the people. This evil became especially patent in the early stages of the World War. During the past years, there has been a marked increase in the cost of living. When the war began, what did we find? Practically every group in the land used the war as a plea for raising the price of everything they could control. And so we found individuals and corporations growing enormously rich out of the greatest calamity of the race. They have allowed self-interest to determine their attitude and conduct. Thus, the individualistic doctrine, in its negative aspect at least, leads to the reign of capitalism in industry and of self-interest in trade. The Baptist Samuel Zane Batten goes on to say this, quote, Society must abolish special privileges of whatever kind, social, political, or economic. It must break the stranglehold of capitalism upon labor, industry, and life. The people must regain the lost right to the earth and its resources. Woe to those who oppose the coming of social justice and would keep the people down. The processes of industry must come under the direct supervision and coordination of society. The time was when the individual who wanted to stand on his feet and secure justice had to depend upon his own strong arm. In the progress of man and the development of society, we have long since passed this stage. In what we call the state, we recognize the principle of social control, and we substitute the general, definite, impartial will for the uncertain, arbitrary, personal will. The time has come when men in their economic relations must agree to come under the control of society and to have their interests interpreted and measured by the common will and welfare. We must create a more just and efficient social order. The present order has failed at many points. End quote. Samuel Zane Batten, the Baptist minister again, ends with the following, quote, Which course will the people take? Some men will prefer one, and another men will choose the alternative. But one way or the other, society will take, and one way it must take. End quote. Now, if you are someone who is familiar with what has been stated in Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19 and the Great Reset, or in the declarations made by Boris Johnson, or in the declarations made by Joe Biden, Emmanuel Macron, Angela Merkel, you would be hearing a nearly identical message. The almost exact same message as what was stated by the Baptist Samuel Zane Batten 
a hundred years ago. The same proclamations as H.G. Wells. And you would hear the same proclamations made by Nebuchadnezzar. A new religion. A new cult. A new way and order of society. A reset of the old order. But to make this move into the new order successful, you need complete buy-in by everyone. Every single human being on the planet. And there can't be one single molecule out of the control of the new artificial god. A god who is a lot better this time. But you need complete buy-in to fully transition an entire world into a new fully religious system. The kind of system as envisioned by Pastor Samuel Zane Batten, H.G. Wells by Nebuchadnezzar. Civilization must be transitioned top-down, bottom-up, and inside-out. And there must be obedience, complete obedience. And any of you who do not obey will be thrown into the fiery furnace. You will be excluded from the new society of the new artificial god. You will have your ability to make ends meet for you and for your family ended. You will have health care removed because you must obey. And you must be a faithful worshiper of the new religions of the new algorithmic world of the new God. You must understand, dear brothers and sisters, that there is nothing new under the sun. And what you also must realize is that sinful men, even men that call themselves Christians, because of the leading of the sin that is within their hearts, that are being led with corruption that is in their minds and souls, and sadly, that giant image of gold, that artificial god made by man, has been allowed to be wheeled into your sanctuaries, to be placed at your altars, to be carved out and shaved by technocrats, to be polished and crafted by Baptists. This rough beast, slouching towards Davos to be born, has been prepared before you were even born, to be brought in and to be placed in control of your church, of your family, of your city, of your state, of your nation, and of your world. And you are being told to obey. And men that you trusted, men that had calming voices and polished rhetoric, brought in the rough beast of the new artificial god for the new artificial cult. Now, how did this manifest itself today? Well, today it's called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. But it is no mere industrial revolution. And we will go into this in the future. And believe me, regardless of what consequences are before me, what dangers are around me, you and I will explore faithfully the causes of things. Because we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, 
And this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. Thank you.